Blog Talk Radio. Take a lickin'. <laughs> there is someone waiting who will hurry up and rescue you. Just call for Super Chicken. Welcome to the Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer Radio Show, brought to you by Tractor Supply, where we give away more chicken coops and chicken-related prizes than anyone else on the planet. We are often imitated, but never duplicated. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, national spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds program, and editor-in-chief of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Today is Monday, July 21st, and I would like to thank all of you for tuning in this afternoon on Blog Talk Radio. This is a live radio show that is broadcast around the world. This radio show is all about keeping backyard poultry, show poultry, and living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Each week, I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, and living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to visit our website, chickenwhisperer.com, where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe to the absolutely free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tractor Supply. Are you in the market for a new chicken coop? Want one that will outlast all the others? Then check out Urban Coop Company. All of their coops are made from 100% appearance-grade western red cedar with galvanized hardware and advanced all-weather joinery right here in the USA. Compared to other coops, Urban Coop Company coops will last longer and look better doing it. They're designed to be both beautiful and functional. In fact, they have earned the Chicken Whisperer seal of approval and are Chicken Whisperer approved. I invite you to browse their website to learn more about the many features of their coops and check out their integrated coop accessories that will make your life easier. Urban Coop Company is a family-owned business located in Dripping Springs, Texas, USA. They are passionate about building great coops because they know you're passionate about your backyard chickens. Visit them online at urbancoopcompany.com. That's urbancoopcompany.com. You need an incubator, think Brency, the incubation specialist. Brency has been a world-leading manufacturer of incubators for over 30 years. Incubators from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity control and programmable egg turning. 
all at surprisingly affordable prices. Visit them online at Brincy.com. Brincy spelled B-R-I-N-S-E-A. That's Brincy.com or call 1-888-667-7009. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and save 10% on their incubators, brooders, egg candlers, and other incubation accessories. When you need an incubator, think Brincy. Technology you can trust. You've just entered a dimension of dirty water, a dimension of poop-filled water, a dimension of stagnant water. You've crossed into the dirty waterer zone. But up ahead is your signpost to cleaner water, the Bright Tap Chicken Waterer. The Bright Tap Waterer is fully covered. Chickens drink from special valves, so dirt and droppings can't get into the water. Chickens get sparkling clean water. You get less work. No poop-filled water pans for you to touch or wash out. Bright Tap, clean water made simple. Visit chickenwaterer.com to learn more. That's chickenwaterer.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken. Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. Sorry about that uh, delay. I was over on the Facebook page posting about uh, today's show that we are now broadcasting live, and live callers get sent to the front of the line. So if you do have a question uh, for Peter Brown today, because it is Q&A with Peter Brown, the Chicken Doctor, um, if you're a live caller and call into the switchboard, you get uh, first preference. So we've got uh, many questions on our Facebook page that we'll be asking Peter when he calls in, and we'll try to get to as many of those as we possibly can. And then, uh, But again, if you call in live, 347-637-3237. Again, that's 347-637-3237. Uh, when you call in, make sure to press 1 to speak with the host when instructed to do so, and we'll know you're in caller queue to speak with Peter Brown. So um, just give us a call, and I'll give you that number out again here shortly when Peter joins us. But I want to thank you very much for tuning in today. I want to send a shout-out to all of the homeschoolers. It is about that time. In fact, the local public schools here in this county get started actually next week. I can't believe it. How early is that? Um, We talked to a teacher at church yesterday, and she starts this coming Thursday. The kids start the Thursday after that. 
So, wow, this seems like school gets started uh, earlier and earlier each year. But, of course, some homeschoolers, uh, they do curriculum all year round. So um, thank you very much, homeschoolers, for tuning into the show and using this as part of your science curriculum, um, hatching in the classroom, different things like that. We thank you very much for tuning in. All the over-the-road truck drivers, I'll be joining you out there here shortly. We'll be hitting the road around the 13th of August, be on the road for about six weeks, and uh, so I'll see plenty of you out there. But thanks for your emails, and uh, thanks for tuning in when you can. Keep the rubber on the road, and uh, get that freight shipped safely. I know your families want to want to see you back home very soon. And uh, thanks to all the feed and seat stores across the nation that stream this radio show live. Thank you very much for, for doing so. Hope business as well. And and I uh, hope you're having a great uh, season this summer. And uh, again, all the live listeners that tune in live, thank you very much for spending a little bit of time during your busy day to tune in live with us. We do appreciate that. And of course, all the thousands of archive listeners that listen to the show uh, all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, iTunes.com, Podcast.com, Zoom.com, and right here at BlogTalkRadio.com. So we appreciate you uh, tuning in. Uh, whenever you can, so we appreciate it. Uh, again, to remind everybody, there's no current um, uh, coop contest on our Facebook page, but we are having right now that current coop contest with Urban Coop Company out in Dripping Springs, Texas, uh, and our Chicken Whisperer magazine, the summer edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine. We have an awesome chicken coop right there, shipped right to your front door. You can enter that. Just head over to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash The Chicken Whisperer, and scroll down on our page a little bit. You'll see it where it's posted. There's a link right to the entry page, and all you have to do is in 25 words or less, I know that's pretty darn impossible, but in 25 words or less, Describe why you love keeping backyard chickens and, and then uh, I guess hit enter and, and you're entered. But all the directions are there on how to do so. So we thank you very much for uh, for doing that. Um, let's see, this Thursday, I believe we've got Richard Frudenberger, publisher of Back Home Magazine. I don't have the topic up right this second, uh, but I'll have it by the end of the radio show. So uh, before we leave, I can tell you about what we've got going on this Thursday. And then uh, on uh, tomorrow, of course, there's no show, but uh, Wednesday, we may have another uh, episode with um, the essential oil lady, like I like to call her Tracy, <laughs> with Purple Lotus Oils, talking about uh, essential oils and how they can uh, benefit us in our lives every day on the homestead. So uh, that was a very interesting show last week. We were glad to have her Glad to have her on. So it looks like uh, Peter has joined us in the caller queue. So let me just tell everybody right now, and again, I'll post it on Facebook page in a minute again. Um, if you have uh, live callers, uh, get sent to the front of the line if you have questions for, for Peter Brown. And so 347-637-3237 is that live number. You can get into the uh, caller queue. We have 50 open phone lines, and I just press 1 to speak with the host. If you have a question, that will let us know by a little uh, dot. Uh, by your number that you want to talk live to Peter, and uh, it's Q&A days. But we have plenty of questions to get through the hour uh, on our Facebook page. Let's go ahead and uh, give Peter a big chicken whisperer round of applause, like we always do. And we'll bring him on air right now. Hey, Peter, how you doing? Hey, Andy, I'm doing well. How about you? Good. Is it uh, scorching hot up there like it has been here the last few days? Uh, no, but it's going to get there. It's <clears throat> the it humidity is coming back already. We never did get any of the real cool temperatures that a lot of other people have experienced. Uh, I uh, saw some of that. Yeah. Yeah. Some people got some really, uh, <clears throat> really cool temperatures. We didn't. Uh, we weren't fortunate enough to uh, to get that far. Um, we probably, you know, I mean, anytime it's below <clears throat> uh, 
uh, you know, 70 degrees uh, uh, overnight, but we didn't get any really, uh, really cool. It's it's about 80 degrees here today. Uh, we um the, the temperatures we we've been in the I think the low 90s, but um, the humidity here has been uh, horrible. It's been you know 197 percent, 9800 percent humidity. We'll we'll get in the morning. Uh, that that typical light shower, and then all of a sudden the sun comes out and it just <laughs> miserable. And oh, she's all day long. And then we have had some rain last few days, which is good. We definitely need it down here in crop the country. But um, yeah, the humidity is just what's. I mean, the other day it was overcast, but the humidity was just absolutely unbearable to do anything really outside. Uh, that was yeah. the bad part. You know, the temperature wasn't all that hot. So. And we've talked about that on, on the show and the effects of that on on poultry with the humidity and the wind chill factor and the whole nine yards. But um, but yeah, I, I saw somewhere in the Midwest that people were like, I can't believe it's mid July and it's like fifty <laughs> overnight, <laughs> <Yeah>. fifty degrees. <laughs> What's yeah. going on? So yeah, yeah we didn't get any of that either at all. I really don't have any complaints. You know, uh, we we uh, uh, we've had our fair share, I guess, of of hot weather too, but. Um, uh, Really, we've you know in our even in our coop here, um, what we've been doing at, at um, you know during the real hot temperatures where we had 90 plus like everybody else, when we get ready to shut everybody up in the coop at night because we have to close it up fairly tight, um, we just run the air conditioner about for about a half an hour and pull that moisture out of there and it's good to go. It's it, it's well insulated so it you know, it'll hold that temperature. We get it down about 78 degrees from you know 90 some odd. Only takes about a half an hour or so, maybe 40 minutes, and then just shut it off, and it's good to go. So, we've been we've been fortunate; we haven't had to run it overnight at all. <clears throat> so, it's uh, it's you know, yep, yep. got to take the good with the bad, I guess. You know, absolutely, absolutely. All righty, what we have got today is uh, Q and A, uh, and uh, uh, yesterday I had posted, and I don't know if you got my email, but I had posted maybe 20 minutes before I received your email saying, "Hey, let's do Q and A tomorrow," and it had been up on the. Uh, <laughs> Facebook page. They're great minds think alike, I guess. But uh, so I do have um, enough questions to, of course, get us through the show. But I told everybody that live callers, if you happen to call in and have a question, um, then uh, no worries there. You, you you'll get sent to the front of the line. So I try to monitor the the uh, the phone bank uh, based on people calling in. So I'm just going to go over here to our Facebook page and we will start uh, answering some of these. Let me scroll down here. see what we have. Okay, let's just start at the top. Um, and again, a lot of times they, they won't put in a lot of uh, detailed information, so we'll, we'll try to answer them best what we can. Um, let's see. This is interesting. We've never had this question uh, ever, and Nick uh, was the first one to post yesterday. Very interesting, and uh, I'm, I'm anxious to hear your answer, and I've got a little bit of information that I learned moons ago about this topic, but Nick wants to know, what type of worm? Now we're talking. We're not talking about internal parasites here. What type of worm should be raised for maximum egg-laying benefit? I have a worm farm, and was curious if one species of worm was a better choice for supplemental chicken feed over another. Now, I have my opinion on this, but we'll hear from you uh, first, Peter. Well, <clears throat> I actually don't have much of an opinion on it uh, because. Um, <laughs> You know, um, most worms, um, technically, I guess, are, are not uh, really good for for chickens. Uh, there but, you go. 
you know, being raised on a worm farm, then you have to look at whether or not, um, you know, they've been exposed to uh, any of the uh, uh, problems that, that the chickens would get from them. So I, I don't know. You know, it's a tough question. Um, <clears throat> I know maggots are a lot better. Uh, they, they are, you know, very high in protein and, and uh, very beneficial for, uh, uh, for, for birds. Um, I don't know why. Uh, anybody would want to necessarily feed them worms. I guess if you got an abundance of them, uh, um, but um, you know, I, I, I know that most of them are high in protein. I do know that much. But as far as as uh, which ones would be more beneficial, uh, I really don't have much to add to that. Um. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's one of the things. Very interesting. We always think about you know birds and going around the yard, and you'll see them eat worms for sure. You, you eat them out of the garden the whole nine yards. I completely agree. But I remember, I don't know if it was Bridget when we had her on a long, long time ago. It was something that I had researched or learned about because we, we did the, the worm, not worm farm, but, you know, composting worms, the, the red right. worms for composting and that type of thing. And uh, doing research with that, learned uh, that, um, number one, that if you choose to um, give your... Uh, we, we, you know, we talk, uh, chickens, worms, that the last place you want to get them is at the bait shop because a lot of those uh, I've read where, you know, oh, I'm going to get red wigglers or nightcrawlers from the bait shop or the Walmart bait shop or whatever the case may be like that, that those have a much higher <laughs> incidence of, uh, um, I want to say there was either bacteria in there or, um, or uh, uh, different types of, anyway, not good for your chickens um, at all. So I've always, over the years, refrained from using uh, the bait shop, the fishing shop, the Walmart shop, the you know, worms, that type of thing, because the way they're raised um, with a higher incident of illness chance for your chickens. Um, but we also see, and it amazes people, because everybody's always, uh, oh, um, you know, free range is the way to go. Oh, so much healthier for your chickens, so much better for your chickens. And, and I'd love to get your comment on this, but I've seen over the years, talking with you and Bridget and, and other poultry scientists, that uh, free range chickens have a much higher incident of, of getting internal parasites uh, from, from eating worms out in the wild and other things as well. But that, that may be one downfall to uh, free range is that you may have a much higher incidence and reoccurrence of internal parasites uh, in your chickens than if they're uh, more contained, even if you have a, a, a smaller run or a larger run in one area and, and in the coop. Um, but everybody's so pro that, but they, they overlook the fact that there may be an increased chance of internal parasites by letting them just free range out there and eat anything and everything. Yeah, um, I I, th I think you're 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 right. Uh, any of the research that I have seen um, in relation to most of these things, um, you know, worms are certainly uh, internal parasites uh, are certainly an, uh, an issue. Um, I think that in in many cases, you know, having done this for a long time, talked to a lot of people from all over the place. Um, people have a tendency to want people to think that they're doing a good job. Um, no, none of them want, uh, irregardless of how good or how poor or somewhere in between <clears throat> uh, a job uh, they are doing uh, raising these chickens uh, or any other animal for that matter, uh, everybody wants to project themselves as pretty much doing it right. Um, you know, I see it a lot uh, on, on Facebook, people posting things, mm -hmm. and you know they're twisting the story around so it makes them look okay 
uh, while they seek out the information uh, you know that they need. Um, and I, I'm not saying that's everybody, but there there is a tendency to uh, um, you know, instead of just coming out and saying, "Look, you know, I, I haven't got a clue here," you know, fill me in. And there are people that do that. I mean, you know, there, there are people that are straightforward. Said, "Look, you know, I got this problem. I don't know what it is. You know, what do you think?" And and but by and large. Uh, people want to sweep those kinds of things under the road because it's so entrenched uh, into uh, the the program that they have bought into. Whether you know, um, you know, we've been down that road before, organic or not organic. Please, I really don't care. You know, uh, if I come across something that I I need and it's organic and I can afford it, I may buy it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but I can tell you this: from most of the chickens and stuff that I've seen at most of the markets here. Uh, you know these little farmers markets and stuff that are sponsored by the, uh, <clears throat> uh, the either the local groups that these people belong to or or um, USDA or whatever. Uh, I'm not eating their chickens. They look beat to death. They're bruised everywhere and anywhere. And and I you know I realize that people are probably doing a lot better job, but I ain't eating it. I don't care. <laughs> Just not doing it. You know and uh, you know appearance has a lot to do with it. There isn't any question. Um, and I'm not trying to downgrade anybody's birds that's just me but um i still go back and i still contend you know you will die from what you put into your body fat and all the garbage you eat before you'll die from something that's in the food that you're going to eat and that's i still stand by that uh, and use myself as an example um you know i'm probably <clears throat> one of the few maybe the only one because i've never heard anybody else say it but i'll tell you what having a heart attack for me was a blessing in disguise and uh, you know, I embrace it wholeheartedly, and uh, have done all of the right things uh, that are necessary to get back on track and and have uh, as healthy a heart and healthy a body as I can have at this point in time. And uh, you know, it's it's not a diet; it's a lifestyle change. You know, and I know that's not the crux of the show today, but I'm just saying that <clears throat> um, I don't care what you eat. You know, if you don't put the right things into your body, it doesn't matter what's in it. At the end of the day. Your lifespan is going to be, you know, shortened. Right. I posted, and you kind of keyed on that, and um, because obviously never here to any popular show, never here to beat people up. People know that, especially our long-time listeners get what we're saying. Yep. Um, But back when we were doing the um, salmonella outbreak during May and and some of June, and um, we were posting, we had top experts from around the world on the show all giving their opinion on what they personally would do. Sure. in that situation, and it was interesting. I posted a couple of times, and, and that post probably got more likes and agreement than any other that I had made uh, regarding it, but I was like, you know, people will search high and low to the far corners of the earth to find an answer that agrees or meets with what they're already doing uh, to make to, you know to, to to have it agree with it, what, what, you know, they may go and see four million uh, instances of what they're doing may be wrong or not recommended, and they will just keep searching and keep searching until they find that one lone scientist in the, in the far ends of the earth that oh yeah yeah exactly this is this fine and they're like oh okay so I'm doing it fine you know here's this person that says it says it's fine and they will do whatever they can and search long hours to try to find what to figure out someone out there that agree with what they're doing and ignore all the rest, uh, sure. all the other four million that say they're not. So it was just um, uh, just just interesting how that that works a lot of times. And so uh, well, you know, so, if you go back 
if you go back to the survey uh, that I uh, it was one of the shows I, I can't remember uh, exactly when it was, but we did a show and I brought up the survey that was done by Cornell and had um, input from many different states and right. um, you know they broke it down into chicken turkey, game birds, ducks, other, and you know, had the totals for for all of the uh, uh, the different uh, uh, diseases that they looked at. And you know we always hear, um, you know, um, Salmonella, E. coli, uh, and that kind of thing—they were the minority of the infections. Right. And and which because you would hear people. But the point here, folks, if you didn't follow that back then, uh, because it was a serious topic, and and, and the majority of people said coal and, and got a lot of uh, uh, flack from that because it wasn't a popular answer, and, and that's not what the answer people wanted to hear. So so they they backtracked on it. Uh, mm-hmm. People, oh no no no, no not that because that's not the answer that they wanted to hear. It wasn't an easy answer. So the, the three out of four, seventy-five percent of the experts said that was the issue. What they would personally do, but what, what Peter's talking about is that um, that people often would say when they would post, well, well, every chicken has salmonella. Wrong, absolutely non-factual information. So when you saw that posted on a blog or a forum, every chicken has salmonella or carries salmonella. Wrong. See who posted that. Never listen to them again. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the other the other issue was that. Um, uh, every chicken has the potential. Well, sure, absolutely every chicken has the potential to have that. But the study that Peter is talking about right now is that that here we had a nationwide salmonella outbreak of confirmed cases, confirmed, you know, but people are like, oh, the chances there all the time. This, this study showed um, with all these different labs across the country, 600, almost 700 birds that were sent in there, how many ended up having the salmonella issue. So the point here is that for those that are like, well, you know, salmonella outbreak, what's the big deal? They all have the potential. But it shows that the, the, the low, low, low number of that uh, occurring in all these different labs across the country when they had sick birds or ill birds and they were doing necropsies and things. So, so it, it kind of shed light that, okay, the folks that are saying, well, they all have a chance to have salmonella. That's true, but look at look look at the chances. Look look at the numbers that had salmonella, and now you're inviting this confirmed possible confirmed cases of salmonella into your backyard flock. So using that, uh, well, they can all carry it almost as a moot point because the numbers are so low. As just oh here here's 700 birds. What all do they have? And the small number that had salmonella versus uh, what internal and external parasites was was huge. Um, on there, that was making mm-hmm. the most prevalent. But that, that's our point. So, in case your listeners, our listeners, didn't know what what the uh, the background was there, that's what we're we're talking about. That because yeah, it sounded uh, like that. Out of all of all of the submissions that were done to the laboratory, um, um, there were um, less, slightly less than 400 that were chickens. The rest were all uh, turkeys, game birds, ducks, and, and listed as as other. Uh, the total was um, uh, less than 650, if my memory serves me correctly. But <clears throat> if you look at um, the amount that were um, out of the, the chickens, so you would look at roughly 400, um, uh-huh. you were looking at three birds or, or out of that whole thing that were salmonella positive. Now, when you went and you looked at the internal-external uh, parasite ratio there, okay, uh, it was uh, overwhelming, and this is just what we're talking about. Don't mean to belabor the point and hang out on this one point too too long, but uh, there were almost 200 just for internal and external parasites uh, right. as part of of this thing. 
And here's another one I always hear about, too. This, this one uh, uh, blows that myth all to smithereens, too. All birds have mycoplasma. Can't get away from it. It's everywhere. Right. Every bird has it. Well, I'll say one thing. It's spread around pretty good. There isn't any question. But all birds having it is, is bunk, nonsense. Out of, out of this uh, group, uh, there were only uh, less than 50 birds diagnosed with mycoplasma, and it didn't break it down. Uh, that uh, didn't break it down into the different uh, uh, types of mycoplasma. So collectively, the uh, two that bother chickens mostly, uh, the mycoplasma galliceptacum and the mycoplasma synovia, you were talking about less than 50 out of close to 400. So there in itself, you're only looking at, um, you know, 10, 11%. And so, you know, is that indicative of what's going on across the country? I don't think you can say that. I don't think the sampling here was big enough to... To, to say that, but it is big enough, in my opinion, to say that not every bird has it. Uh, we have a small flock of birds here, 18 birds. They're negative. Yeah, there's no mycoplasma here. It's all negative. So, uh, you know, the, the misnomer that, that the, the birds are out there and everybody's got it and you can't get away from it, um, that's not true. You, you have to be very selective. I, I had a conversation. I think this is, is relevant, uh, and we'll get on to some of these questions here in just a minute. But <clears throat> I had... Uh, a client called me this morning uh, that was interested in buying some birds from an individual out here in the east. Um, I know the individual that he was uh, wanting to buy the birds from, um, and um, I obviously can't say what I know, um, but come to find out that that particular person had shipped some birds to somebody in the Midwest now, this individual uh, had had an outbreak of uh, laryngotracheitis twice in the last couple of years and did nothing, to my knowledge, after picking my brain nine ways from Sunday on, on many different occasions uh, and then still had the, uh, the, the uh, uh, lack of judgment to, to send somebody else the birds who then had an outbreak. And... Um, uh, you know, um, I my my answer my uh, when I was questioned on it, mine uh, my answer was be careful what you buy, and that's how I left it because I, I'm I'm not you know I can't give names and all that kind of stuff, but I can throw out enough innuendo to uh, hopefully you'll have enough common sense to stay away from it. So you have, it's it's buyer beware out there because if you're not aware of what you're buying, um, it can come back and bite you big time, and and uh, laryngotracheitis is is one of them. Um, it's being talked about out in uh, the uh, Pacific Northwest. Uh, there's some uh, some problems with a couple of flocks in, in, uh, in, out in that neck of the woods. So you, you just have to be careful. And uh, uh, but w worms, I'm, I'm not sure uh, that I would uh, pick that type of a situation to to put my birds into unless I could prove that uh, uh, they were not going to be detrimental. Uh, nutritional wise, I, I you know I don't know what the protein level is. But I would have to think it would be pretty, pretty much up there, pretty high as far as protein is concerned. So, as a source of nutrition, uh, looking at it that way, I think it, you know, that's a good thing. But what else is it going to bring along with you? That would be my question. All right. Very good. We've got Lisa who posted on our Facebook page again, folks. If you're tuning in live, uh, live callers go to the front of the line. If you're uh, brave enough to call mm -hmm. and uh, hear your voice on radio, no worries there. Three, four, seven. 637-3237. That's 347-637-3237. So give us a call. A lot of callers go to the front of the line with your questions on air. 
Okay, Lisa from our Facebook page. And we don't have a recording of this. We don't have any description of this sound. And so this will probably be real, a real quick answer. Uh, my hen sounds like she's either lonely or in pain. Are these emotions vocalized in hens? What does it sound like? Or am I imagining things? So we have no idea, like, is her hen broody and making different sounds like that? If, if she's, um, <laughs> you know, uh, is, she, is it a cackle after she, she lays the egg? Um, I don't, we, we don't know what your interpretation of sounding lonely or sounding in pain uh, are. And so we have no idea really to be able to answer this because we don't have a, a description of uh, you know, squelches or yelps or moans or, or anything. That's all we have. So, But there are obviously a lot of different sounds that chickens will make from, you know, that they're emotional when they go to being broody, to if they're stressed, after they lay, or to when they're laying and you go in there and disturb them, to, you know, out, you know, if they're hungry, coming up to you and they want a treat, to, you know, identifying predators, tons and tons of noise. So I don't think there's a way we can really answer that, being that we have no description of what they're actually, your description of lonely and pain, that, you know, we, when we hear that, we may think that that's just, oh, that's their normal cackle. So we can't really answer that, Lisa, right now, which we could. Uh, maybe you can record it and put a sound uh, bite on our page. We can kind of listen to that. So well, we you know what? We... You know what's funny about that is that um, you know we have uh, uh, you know some birds here, obviously, and uh, just about every afternoon, uh, one of these uh, little Deanver hens um, will make you think with her clucking and carrying on. Of course, that gets everybody else going, and. Uh, <laughs> You know, we've got mostly roosters here, and then they start. And uh, not that that's a big deal in the middle of the day, but then you fly out the back door to see what may be going on in there. And there's a blessed thing going on, but this one sitting in the coop, just tackling and, and, and making all kinds of noise, not, you know, and just sitting there, not doing a blessed thing. So it's, it's, yeah. it's a difficult thing to decide. Yeah, I've looked at her a couple yeah. of times, you know, I say, you know, what's wrong with you? You know, what, what's your deal? But it's almost every afternoon anywhere between one and three, and you'll hear a, a commotion out there. You, God Almighty, you think that the world was coming to an end. You, you know, and we keep, the, you know, we keep the pen locked, so then you get the key and open the thing up and get in there, and there's nothing going on. You know, and, you know the ducks swim around in this pond looking at everybody else like, you know, what's your problem? So um, hard, hard to tell. You know, uh, I, I, you know, and she doesn't, you know, she's not laying an egg, she's not in a nest box, just sitting in there and just, just yapping, mile a minute. And, of course, that gets everybody else going. So but sounds are interesting, and, and I have found, for the most part, unless a bird, um, uh, their pain is a little bit different. And I don't pretend to be an expert on it, but I've seen enough of it that um, uh, it doesn't seem to be a constant pain as it is with humans, where we feel a pain uh, with a broken bone, and we moan and groan over it, and every time you you move, you, you jump out of your skin or whatever. Uh, birds, if they're injured, lots of times uh, they'll sit still, and they don't do anything. There aren't any sounds. You take a bird that's that's had an encounter with a fox or, or whatever and survives it. Bird isn't making hardly any sounds at all. You just you you barely know it's breathing. So it's hard to interpret you know the, uh, the the sounds and uh, it's going to be interesting to see i know there's a study going on down at the university of georgia uh where they are recording sounds and trying to um 
use that to determine behaviors of birds so that they can head off problems. So it's going to be an interesting thing. Um, so there'll be more information down the road uh, once that study is finished. Uh, I have no idea when it's going to be finished, but uh, I'm sure as soon as it is and they have uh, been able to make some sense out of it, uh, they will uh, you know, publish those, those results. But as far as trying to figure it out, sometimes you can, sometimes you can't, sometimes it's just a guess and you do something. And uh, I, I've been in, in the coop and done things and made it worse than what it was before I got in there, so I get the heck out. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it's a, it's a tough one as far as sounds are concerned. But and uh, um, I, I don't think we had enough information to really do much with that one anyway. Okay. Yep. Exactly. Okay. We've got one here. Um, okay. And, and I'll kind of answer this, and then I kind of know your answer. Uh, Pam wants to know: I raise goats and donkeys, as well as our chickens. With all other animals, we worm them on a regular schedule, and I have always been concerned about if and how I should worm our chickens for maximum help. Any advice? Now, I'll give her my two cents worth, and because uh, we, we have covered this a, a whole lot, and I'll let you give her give uh, um, Pam your your two cents worth, uh, Peter. And whenever I see this and see this online, people are like, hey, I want to worm, or I need to worm, that type of thing. Is my very first question is. What sparked you to write this? Why are you wanting to worm? And, well, I see other people worming every fall or twice a year, three times a year, and changing different meds, that, that type of thing. So we go down that road of why initially they want to worm. Have they seen anything that would, you know, are there birds, uh, you know, getting lightweight? Are they just hanging or, you know, not just sitting there? Are they, you know, uh, losing weight? You see, maybe see some worms or worm eggs in, in the droppings, where their droppings look like. Uh, and, and a lot of times it's just, oh, I see other people worming, so I'll figure out would worm too. So a lot of times it's that. So I'll go back to the fact that um, uh, have you had a fecal flotation test to determine, number one, if they have worms or not? Um, and nine times out of ten, maybe even more than that, it's no. What's that? And then, you know, fecal flotation test where they, you take a sample of their, their poo to the vet, they check it and not only see if they have worms or not, but key what type of worms they, they have. Twenty to twenty-five dollars, any vet can do a cat vet, dog vet. You just, you know, it's a, called a fecal flotation test. Nine times out of ten, or have you had a fecal flotation test to determine if they have it or not? In order to worm, and then of course worm with the right medication. And of course, it's no, I, I don't want to do that. So you just want to worm your chickens for the heck of it. And this is my personal opinion, and, and, and some of the experts uh, follow through with this. So over the years of, of being public, I, I sometimes try to use things uh, using a shock factor or human-related to, to make them get the point a little bit better. And so I ask them, are you going to take your six-year-old child to get chemotherapy because they might have cancer? Um, and of course you're not. You, you would think that's stupid. No, I'm not going to take him to get chemo because he might have, have cancer. So why are you going to worm? And you don't even know what the worm with right now because you haven't had a fecal flotation test. Why are you going to worm if they may not even have worms? Um, and so, so then that kind of opens their, their eyes and their eyebrow a little bit. And then the fact of knowing what kind of worms is, is paramount because, you know, most people will run up here to Tractor Supply and they'll get Wazine and they'll go back and they'll read the label and uh, uh, they'll miss the part, of course, where it says not for layers, meat birds only, but they're like, oh, everybody uses it on, 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 on the blog, so I'll use it too. And, um, and then they'll use Wazine and they haven't had their chickens tested and their chickens have a type of worm, internal parasite, that Wazine 
doesn't even affect. So now they've wasted warming, they've wasted money on wazine, they've given wazine because they saw it on a blog somewhere that that's what they do, um, and then your chickens have worms, but wazine doesn't even uh, treat that particular type of worm. So, so it goes back to that, have you had them tested at, at a fecal flotation test to see if they have it or not, a worm or not, and then what time they have so you can actually purchase the right medication to, to treat that worm or broad-spectrum wormer or whatever, you, or whatever the case may have. So, so at least you don't go out and buy wazine, and they, after you're done with the treatment, they still have worms because the wazine didn't treat the worms that your chickens actually had. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, and then finally, the, the issue with, um, uh, oh, well, uh, I know I have to wait two weeks before I eat the eggs. Oh, really? Where did you see that? Oh, on backyardchickens.com. Oh, really? So you have to wait two weeks. Where, where, did, where did that person get that information? Because it doesn't exist. Because it, you call Wazi, uh, the makers of that particular drug, and you say, hey, what's the withdrawal period for these layers if I use worm, if I worm them with this stuff? They're going to say, well, don't worm them with this stuff. And if you do, never, ever eat the eggs ever again as long as the chicken lives. Because the study's not there. There is not an official legal withdrawal time. We beat this like a dead horse over the, the radio shows with, you know, yes, there probably is an official withdrawal period. Yes, meat, it's two weeks. If you figure for eggs, it's the same. People eat while they're giving wazine to their chickens. They're still alive. Some people don't. They wait two weeks. They're still alive. But if you're selling your eggs, if you're giving your eggs away, and, and you're, you want to take that liability that somebody is eating those eggs that may have a, a rare reaction to whatever you just worm with two weeks ago, nine weeks ago, Knock yourself out if you want that liability, um, but but that's that's kind of the, the path that I go when I see folks that should I worm, shouldn't I worm, what should I worm, you know, how often should I worm, that type of thing, um, and and that's a lot of information. But that's that's the route that I take when I hear people say, oh, oh where are my chickens? How, what should I use? And how much should I use? And what's the withdrawal period? I go through all of that because I think number one, it's probably paramount to get that fecal flotation test to know if you have them or not to begin with, and then which one you have so you know actually treat them correctly because your wazine is not going to treat all of them that you may have and so you've wasted your time. So that's that's kind of my two cents worth from the path that I go down when I hear people talk about it. I'll turn it over to you, Peter, and, give, and, and add anything in there that uh, you agree or disagree with or, or your two cents worth as well. No, I think my, my position is probably fairly well known, especially among folks who have uh, dealt with me or have listened to the show, and, and uh, we pretty much fall in line in the, in the same uh, uh, train of thought. Um, I've always said become a poop inspector. There is nothing more important than knowing the ins and outs and the quirks of your birds. Um, you know, how, how they walk every day, uh, you know, how they act, uh, how they look from one day to the next so that you can spot the small subtleties that are uh, problems of, of uh, diseases to come your way. Um, the five-gallon bucket sitting in the yard, your favorite chair, whatever, um, and just watch them and, and see who's doing what and how they're acting and so on. Um, best time to check the droppings is when you let them out in the morning. and They, they jump down off the roost and pile of poo there, and uh, all you got to do is look at it, and uh, it take you two or three minutes total for the most part. You find something, you know, get something to pick it up with and examine it real close. If you're not sure, bring it to your vet, bring it to your extension agent, bring it to somebody. Uh, send me a picture of it. We'll take a look at it. I've done that a zillion times. So, um, yep. now, I'm a, you know, I'm a firm believer in, in doing that. If you want to go the diatomaceous earth route, 
uh, just be aware that you've got to use it on a regular basis or it's, it's, uh, it's worthless. Uh, it has no residual value, uh, meaning that uh, uh, once it clears the intestine, it's not going to hang around and be of uh, additional value to, to the bird. Uh, so worming uh, with that uh, type of product on a regular basis uh, uh, you know, should help keep them clean, uh, basically, of, uh, uh, of the roundworms, which are the easier ones. Uh, it won't it won't clear an infection of of um, tapeworms because the tapeworm has a mouth part called a scolex and it embeds the scolex in the intestinal wall and hangs on and the diatomaceous earth will just basically cut that off and it'll regenerate itself uh, so and you by by looking in the droppings the two basic worms you're going to be able to see anyway would be uh, roundworms and tapeworms the roundworms look like spaghetti Tapeworms look like small, flat, segmented uh, worms. Sometimes uh, small enough look like specks of uh, pieces of rice. Uh, anything else, you're going to have to go on symptomology, your gape worms uh, and your capillary worms. And the capillary worms are probably the worst because you can't see them uh, until it's almost too late. Uh, they are difficult to get rid of. They embed themselves uh, in, the, uh, in the tissue of the, uh, of the uh, intestinal wall. Uh, they're often called threadworms uh, because of the fact that they do uh, thread themselves into that tissue. Um, if they're killed in place, um, can start an inflammatory reaction and uh, uh, cause you know uh, further damage in the in the intestine and stuff. So that one's a tough one. And uh, you know whether or not you should uh, uh, do anything for that, uh, I would have a fecal flotation done and. Uh, Sometimes they can pick up the eggs in, in, the, uh, in the droppings. Uh, they're real, real small and hard to see, so it would take a, a microscope to see those uh, for the most part. But um, uh, I, I'm just not a big fan for, for all the reasons that you said, Andy. I'm not going to go back into each and every one of them, but we're, we're, we're in agreement there. Uh, and I know there's a zillion people that don't agree, and that's fine. They're your birds to do as you please not here to really change anybody's minds as far as what they're already doing and they're happy with it. If you're, you know, if you're happy with what you're doing, I, I strongly urge you not to change anything because if it's working, it's working. Exactly. Yep, not here to change your mind. I just give you some information. You can do with it what you want. So, um, very good. Okay. Um, Sharon, another uh, common um, topic we have here. Um, but uh, she, she lists them all again. They're all listed on blogs and forums out there. There is such a debate about what to use for lice and mites. You hear diatomaceous earth, ivermectin, frontline, seven dust. Can you address this issue and tell us what is best to use for the control of these little pests? How much, how little, and how frequent, please? <laughs> Well, we've done this one before, and this one's kind of a yeah. fun one. I, I kind of like it. Yeah. Um, it right. It's pretty, pretty straightforward, pretty simple. Uh, number one uh, is to identify the problem, and that is to, uh, if you have mites, then you have a problem. And um, I'm not going to go into all the ins and outs of, of mites, but um, how you control them then depends on uh, a couple of factors. Um, number one, how much money you want to spend. Number two, how much time you want to spend controlling it. Um, number three, how quickly you want them to be gone. Um, if you're not really worried about, um, well, one of the other factors would be if you're anti-chemical. 
So then if you're anti-chemical, it kind of leaves you only with a couple of options from my perspective. That would be a diatomaceous earth, <clears throat> and it would be your um, poultry protector products, which, which work pretty well. Uh, neither one of these is going to give you that quick knockdown, get out of my neighborhood, get off my property type of an approach. This is going to be an ongoing battle between you and the mites. Um, most people uh, that I've, you know, again, been doing this a long time, so I've seen a lot. Most people start out with the best of intentions, but uh, most people have a life outside of chickens, meaning job, children, family, whatever. Um, and you start out doing things the way they should be done with these products that don't have the quick knockdown, quick kill, get out of my yard uh, uh, ability, and then something comes up and you forgot to do it, and you ran out of it. Uh, money was short, uh, time was short, the kids were crying, the dinner was burning, or whatever, and things just don't get done on time, and then these things come back with a vengeance, and they're back again, and you're fighting it day in, day out. So if, if that's your gig, those are your, your approaches, and um, used properly and um, uh, used uh, frequently, uh, you can gain some sort of control uh, with them. Uh, the diatomaceous earth, to me, um, while it can work, if you have show birds, has a tendency to cut up the feathers a little bit, so if you're showing, it's not good. It'll dull the feathers. Uh, I know of nobody that is a serious show uh, uh, enthusiast that uses diatomaceous earth and is successful. Okay. Um, that being said, um, if you're going to control mites, uh, you have to control them not only on the bird, but on the premise itself. And if you're not doing both at the same time, uh, it's almost a waste of time. Same thing as taking your dog out of his flea-infested kennel and bring him out into the front yard and giving him a nice flea bath and putting some perfume on him and a little scarf around him and he looks cool, he stops scratching and everything else, and you put him back in that flea-infested kennel and two or three days later uh, all of the uh, little buggers have jumped back on him and started the process all over again. Um, and it may take <coughs> uh, cleaning the, uh, the, the coop uh, and or the kennel for that matter uh, more than once to, uh, to get some knockdown. So what can you use to... Uh, uh, in this type of an approach, um, either your 10% permethrin uh, or the newest kit on the block, uh, which would be the Elector product. Uh, the Elector has the, one of the newer generation uh, killing agents in it. It's used in dogs and cats basically in a pill form, um, along with, I think, ivermectin and something else they mix, mix with it. I don't remember that part of it. not important. But um, it is available, uh, and it is... Um, also a product that's used in Europe for control of red mite, which they have a terrible time there. Um, so those are your choices as far as that's concerned. Both of these can be used on the bird and on the premise at the, uh, at the same time. In other words, you're not going to use both products, but in other words, the 10% uh, permethrin, you can use it on the bird and on the premise. What I like about the 10% the permethrin is it uh, is uh, relatively inexpensive. Um, uh, here, a quart bottle of 10%. Um, runs about $27, $28, uh, and it'll do a lot of chickens. And uh, you, you spray that uh, on the premise to get the quick knockdown. Uh, and it also has residual activity, which means it continues to work after uh, it's dry. Uh, the Spinosad uh, product, uh, it's an 8-ounce bottle, and you'll be looking at about $120 there. 
Uh, again, it's the newest kit on the block, but it is very, very effective, uh, and it can be used on the premise and on the bird. Uh, one of the others that people are using, and a lot of people do this, they'll use the uh, front line uh, to put on the birds, and, um, which is fine, but do nothing for the coop. And so you're always constantly battling, uh, you know, using the front line and, and things of that nature. So those are the things you can do. As far as the dosage is concerned, uh, they're, they're all different. They're all over the board. Um, yeah. With us, if you buy the product, we give you specific sheets on how to do it. The, uh, um, uh, the, the spin is sad because of the cost. We, sh we uh, have a sheet on showing you how to break it down into real small amounts. Uh, the 10% uh, the per meter has its own label, which is uh, pretty, uh, pretty good at telling you what to do. Um, so all, all of those things. The front line, we have a specific sheet uh, telling you uh, how much to put on, where to put it on, and, and so on. So uh, all of those things can be done to control mites, and it just depends, uh, you know, how quick, how, you know, how much money you want to spend, how much time you have. Um, but all of those are really uh, effective products used properly, and I, I uh, emphasize the words used properly. Very good. Alrighty, thank you very much for uh, for that. Um, our next question here, it's interesting, there's a lot going on here, um, from Kate Barron. How do you know if a healing scab um, from a still, in, how, how can you tell the difference between a healing scab from a still infected scab? Okay, My chicken has had bumblefoot for a few weeks now. And if I pick the scab off, thinking it's still infected, it smells. So I would assume the smell is still a sign of infection. But I don't know. It's white and stringy, and I'm getting unsure if it's infection or actually healing skin that's forming. <clears throat> well, the smell alone is the giveaway. I mean, you know, uh, bumblefoot is nothing more than an infection of the footpad and uh, comes about you know, from, from many different uh, different ways. Uh, it can actually be, a, you know, a puncture wound or it can be just a very slight scratch or abrasion. Usually goes unnoticed, doesn't leave a trail of blood behind the bird, but they walk around in the yard or in the, in the, in the manure or wherever they are uh, and readily pick up an infection and then it starts out in, in that foot pad and the foot pad becomes swollen at first uh, and it becomes uh, swollen uh, because it's usually uh, not always, but usually loaded with pus and uh, from the infection and requires, you know, some cleaning out and that kind of thing, pulling off that, some people call it a core, uh, really doesn't matter what you call it, it's usually a blackish-looking scab, uh, can be any diameter size from little to big, uh, and usually when you pull it off, uh, generally not a whole lot of bleeding, um, Sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't. Most of the time that I've been involved in it, there isn't a lot of bleeding, but there's a lot of gunk and garbage that comes out. And <clears throat> the key is, for the most part, you will not cure it by cleaning it out um, and applying a topical uh, antibiotic to it. Uh, it takes a systemic antibiotic as a general rule. Uh, what I mean by systemic, it mean, uh, that is an antibiotic that is given orally that will make its way down to the foot uh, and most of the antibiotics you can buy OTC or over-the-counter uh, don't uh, even touch it. You know, the uh, tetracyclines and, and those kinds of things, it just can't get enough uh, in the bird. Uh, you look at uh, two that would, would possibly work, uh, one being better than the other. Amoxicillin would work, um, and then the other one would be cephalexin. 
the key here is how pliable this swelling uh, in this area of the foot is. Um, once the swollen area has become hard, uh, most antibiotics are not going to take care of it. You may be able to take care of this uh, pus and smell, but if it's been going on for a long period of time and everything around that area if it has become hard, uh, it's probably not going to you know, make that part of it go away. Usually that's um, either cells or cellular debris. Uh, sometimes you can get the swelling to go down and get it almost all to go away. Sometimes, uh, again, caught real early, it usually can be cleaned up. It uh, can take a long time, especially if you let it get out of hand and you get some infection in the bone, and you're, you're really talking about uh, a very, very long uh, time of antibiotics and soaking and uh, taking that scab off, pulling the core out, squeezing the pus out, all of that stuff. Uh, you know, you're looking at something in some cases better than 30 days, and I think in the outset, Andy, you said you're already messing with this for about two weeks, and um, they don't seem to be you know, really getting anywhere because they still have the scab with the smell and, and so on but it takes a, a, an antibiotic. The other one is cephalexin. Uh, I like cephalexin over amoxicillin, and the reason for that is cephalexin is an excellent uh, soft tissue uh, uh, antibiotic that works at that level, used in dogs and cats l lots of times for skin infections, so to give you an idea uh, how good it really is at the end of the day. But um, that's the approach that you need to take with that. And you need to be aggressive with it because if you're not aggressive with it, it'll be aggressive with you, and, and uh, you'll not get it to go away very easily. Okay, very good. Yeah, the bumblefoot has been a topic we've covered uh, a good bit in the past. <clears throat> okay, I'm going to scroll down a few of these because they were uh, repeat questions regarding mites and lice and worming. And uh, here's kind of a general question, um, and you can just maybe give her some tips and our listeners some tips if they find themselves in the situation, maybe the top five things to, to look at or look for if they, they find themselves in the situation. But Teresa wants to know, I have six chickens, and I'm only getting two eggs a day. What can I do to make them lay more? <laughs> so uh, again, we're right smack dab in the hot summer. I have no idea what location she's at. But um, uh, if we were in the middle of February and it was cold as all get out, or again, right here in the middle of the July where it's very hot, but maybe the just some top five things that other listeners find themselves, I'm not getting eggs, or I'm not getting as many as I should, or you know, six chickens and two eggs, how can I get some more, then more protein, different type of feed, uh, more water, you know, just maybe the top five things uh, that, that she can look at or, or try to figure out or, or uh, what she needs to look at to get some more eggs, if there's a, a possibility she can. Yeah, uh, it depends, you know, a lot on, on what yeah. they're feeding. So if they're feeding a good, um, a good quality um, laying mash or laying pellet or, or something along those lines, so, that, you know, I would take a look at the feed. I would also look at the feed consumption. Um, for instance, lots of times when I talk to people, I'll say, well, is the bird eating? And they'll say, yes. I say, well, how much is the bird eating? Well, I saw a peck at the food. Well, pecking at the food and eating and chowing down is a big difference. And so you want to make sure that the non-layers are consuming uh, the appropriate amount of food to um, you know, kick the egg-laying process into high gear. Um, it, they may be a, uh, you know, she didn't say how old they were either, uh, so uh, maybe some are older than others, I don't know, but age is certainly uh, an, an issue to look at. <clears throat> so birds that are older have a tendency to lay uh, uh, um, less eggs. 
Also, um, it depends on the breed. That wasn't mentioned either. Uh, some are more prolific than others. Uh, some birds will uh, lay almost all the time on demand. Other birds, you, uh, uh, you, know, you can hardly do anything and everything to, to get them to, uh, uh, to lay eggs. Uh, I would also take a look at what kind of treats that we're leaving around for these birds, if any. Uh, we found many, many times, even on this show, about people that are feeding uh, way too much uh, scratch grains, uh, table scraps, everything and everything but what the bird really needs. Uh, these birds, if you're feeding a good quality, complete feed, they don't need anything else but good fresh water. And uh, all the treats and all the scratch grains and all the other things, that's all for your head. That doesn't got anything to do it. It does nothing for that chicken whatsoever. Uh, they may like it, and they may go wholeheartedly after it when you throw it out there. Uh, and lo and behold, birds will key in on that. If you're doing it at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, guess what? I'm not eating anything until you throw out the good stuff that I like. And, um, you know, we've, we've seen it many, many times um, over the years. Uh, we've had people on this show um, that uh, had the same problem, feed a lot of treats and uh, uh, so on and so forth, put out all kinds of different stuff for them over and above their normal feed, and what do they do? They go eat the stuff they like, and they leave the other stuff. And uh, so that's you know, that's part of the problem. Um, you know, good cold water might help them. Uh, you know, keeping the water as cold as you as you can. Uh, and I say that because uh, we we did a show a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, or last week, can't even remember. Um, when we talked about why they don't lay in, in the summertime, and we talked about the, the blood flow being put to the outside of the bird's body and going away from the internal organs and that uh, egg laying being a secondary sexual characteristic and not having a, an important role or any role in the bird's survival, so it's the first thing to go. Uh, when all the blood flow is being put out to the, uh, the comb, the waddle, the legs, and the skin to try to keep the bird cool, it's certainly not going to put any blood flow into the, uh, the oviduct and into the uh, ovary tree where the ovums uh, are developed uh, from the, uh, we talked about the real, real small, whitish-looking follicles, see, and, and that's where the, the hormone is produced right there. So if it's not getting enough blood flow, it's not going to produce the hormones to make those follicles mature. So, um, you know, all of those things. So if these birds were mine and I really wanted them to, to lay, uh, I would consider um, making sure uh, that they had the good quality feed. I would make sure they had plenty of good cold water, plenty of shade for them to get in and out, uh, out, of, the, out of the hot uh, sun uh, during the day. Um, and then I, I would try to supplement their diet. Sometimes we've seen that if you're just, you know, they can be eating all the right things and just, just not there yet. Um, some Vitapro B, some uh, A-Light amino acid in the drinking water uh, may just push them uh, to the point where they'll go ahead and start dropping eggs for you. But it's, it's, it's a challenge, especially this time of year. Um, yeah. you know, it, it really is. Yeah, nutrition, nutrition, nutrition. We've had shows on that where uh, the, the important, and I tell folks in every single session I do, uh, at, at week 18, if all you choose for the next 10 years to feed your chickens is that uh, formulated layer pellets uh, ration from, from the, you know, that you pick up at the feed store, nutritionally balanced, that is all they're going to need for the day they die. To, to get you into the good nutrition, you know, as far as the nutrition and the feed, when I talk about the supplements and the oil oregano and things like that, you can you can add, but but just as far as the, you know, and you're right, the treats are for the, uh, <laughs> I'm still in that, they'll learn when the classes are like, you know, 
treats are, are for you. Let's let's uh, let's face it. We've talked about had so many callers call in, and, and the problem's been dictated back to uh, the, uh, the too many too many treats, that type of thing. You know, it, you see so many times on blogs and forums, uh, someone snaps a picture and posts it. Look, warm oatmeal and blueberries for my babies this morning, <laughs> and uh, yep. you know it, it's <laughs> yeah, so. Um, all right, let's let's move on here. We've got because uh, we're we're running down the, the clock here. Uh, let's see what we got here. This is very unfortunate. Laura posted on our Facebook page. I was about to get some chickens, but with all of these posts with the problems people are having, I think I've changed my mind. <laughs> so we definitely don't want to uh, uh, to do that. There are plenty of people out there that have not one lick of problems. These are just things that. You know, you can think about how many hundreds of thousands of people have chickens all over the uh, the country. You know, if you, you know, if you're, yeah. you're going to uh, end up having a pet dog or a cat or a chinchilla or a turtle or a rabbit or whatever, um, it, it's really uh, no. Let me uh, let me address that real quick. Um, yep. I will say to that person, if you want to get chickens, um, learn about them first. Amen. Learn about the basic anomalies that chickens uh, have, okay? And learn as much as you can about them. Go back in the archives of this show and, and, and go over and listen to all the things. Ask all the questions. Prepare yourself knowledge-wise. After you've prepared yourself knowledge-wise, then prepare yourself to have a few things on hand so that if things do go wrong, you are prepared right then and there to deal with it. Right. I mean, it's just it's just behooves me to understand. I mean, uh, in the last week, been dealing with, and, and when I say dealing with, uh, uh, I've, I've taken myself out of the picture on a whole lot of this stuff because I can't deal with it anymore myself. The, the craziness of, of, of the ideas and the thoughts that people have that they put up on some of these uh, some of these sites about uh, different disease issues, uh, they are clueless and they don't live in Seattle. I mean, it, these people just have not got a clue whatsoever, and most of it's because they haven't done the homework, or they've listened to some nonsense uh, that somebody put out that right. they think is, is is relevant, and it's not. And all it does is is, is hurt the birds. I'm going to tell you, like I've said before, there is no bird, no bird anywhere that somebody is in charge of, a human is in charge of, that should die from coccidiosis, worms, hot or cold, at least those four, and certainly shouldn't die from, from starvation or a bad feed. Most of the things that you see on the Internet, okay, where people have talked about you know, oh, this they, they could be deficient here, and it could ha- certainly could happen. There's no question about it. Does it happen as frequently today in our modern times with our modern, well-balanced feed rations that are available to people at the feed store? Does it happen like it used to back in the, in the 20s and the 30s and the 40s? No, it doesn't. Not at all. Not even close. So things that were written way, way back then, well, they're nice to know and know that it could happen. The chances of it actually happening, for the most part, not going to happen. Does that mean that what I'm saying is that it's never going to happen? No, that's not what I'm saying. 
I'm saying the preponderance of the time, that's not your puppy. That's not it. Move on. Pick up something else. You know, if I hear another person say that, you know, by giving Amprol to birds, uh, you're, you're ruining them because you're tying up their vitamins. You're only tying up one vitamin for a very short period of time. And if you knew anything about how the vitamins work in the bird, you know that's not a big deal. Right. So get off of it. But they still come back and say that. I'm not giving mine medicated feed. Nope, not doing it. Nope, don't want to hurt my bird. Nope. No, but you. Right. then you come back two weeks later and say you've got bloody coccidiosis and you want to know why. Right. I'll tell you right. why, because you're a jerk. That's why. <laughs> And, that, oh, and, that's, and that's the God's honest truth. There's no other way to explain that. There's no other way to explain that. None. I mean, I just, I'm just beside myself. So I don't say anything anymore. I'm not getting in the middle of it. I don't really care then. You know, if you're that stupid, you know, just go on with it. But um, I, I just, just, it just blows my mind. Just blows my mind. Yeah. You know, how many times do we put things out here, try to pe- tell people, and people, you know, they haven't even got a clue as to how a medicated feed works. Well, I used medicated feed, and it didn't help me. I still got coccidiosis. Yeah, so I would expect that to be a possibility. And again, if you knew anything about it and you did your due diligence and your homework, you'd have known that. And then you've been prepared, just like I said a minute ago. The knowledge, having known that it may not hold the coccidia off, and you better have something in the back room in case it does. That's a novel thought. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I agree 100%. Someone had posted here, um, they were posting questions, and they said, if people would just read your blog, they would get all these uh, uh, questions answered. And I said, ma'am, I don't have a blog. don't want a blog. don't personally like blogs because there's so many out there with such bad information, and then people read it, and they take it, oh, that's the God's honest truth, and oh, this is the... Uh, it just it, it irritates me because there's so much bad information out there on uh, on, on the chicken blogs and forums. So, oh, okay, we're going to do maybe about five minutes, maybe one or two more here. Let me scroll down and see ones that we have not. Um, like, here's one. I give my chickens dry cat food to get them to lay. Uh, there's this exactly what we just talked about. Uh, somebody posted that. Um, okay, don't worry about the extra sodium that's in the cat food. That's going to wreak havoc on your on your chickens' kidneys and everything else. That's if okay. if you okay. have to give your chickens um, cat food in order to make them lay, then you're doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. It's just that simple. Because you see, if that cat food was meant for chickens, it would say so. It would tell you how to use this to make chickens lay. So adding that extra protein in uh, indicates to me that the diet is deficient in protein somewhere along the way, whether they're feeding too many treats. Chickens will always go to that stuff because they like the salt. Not that the salt's any good for them. It's actually detrimental to them. But people want to do it. So you want to do it? Go ahead and do it. Yeah. You know, I don't care. Go ahead. I know what you mean. Last question, because I, I mean, we actually hit most all of them, because we had several related to the mites and lice and worms that we covered, um, is that can a rooster be fixed? And I'm assuming they're talking about making them sterile, uh, and we call those the uh, capons uh, roosters, where they go in and, uh, and, and fix them. Yes, I'm assuming they're not talking about fix a rooster for crowing. They probably would have uh, elaborated more on that. But can you fix a uh, rooster? And uh, you can, they're called Capon. You can Google that Capon and uh, get some information on that. So you can. Uh, yeah, they fix can be it. fixed that way. And, and I, okay. I've, I've, as far as the crowing thing is concerned, I've, I've heard over the years people talk about, you know, yeah. uh, the possibility of doing it. Well, 
I have uh, in my archive of, 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 uh, of slides and stuff, you know, I have uh, pictures of exactly where the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the voice box, so to speak, is, is located and, and how difficult it is to, to, to get to it without oh, yeah. doing any other damage. And anybody that would, would, even a veterinarian that would entertain that thought, got rocks in their head. So. Yeah, yeah. Find, that's the biggest problem over the years, uh, finding a vet that would do it, well, morally, ethically, or just the fact of what's involved in that, and then still have not 100% guarantee that it's going to end up working or not. But I've, I've heard that the finding a vet to actually do the procedure is the hardest part about it. Yeah. Um, if, if you choose to actually try to have it done. So. Yeah. Uh, that's the anti-crowing, not the cap-on and, and fixing it right. that way, but the, the, the anti-crowing exactly. Well, great. An another great show. Awesome information. I'm sure we helped a lot of people. And, uh, folks, if you, if you need to get in contact uh, with Peter, please visit his website, firststatevetsupply.com. Again, that's firststatevetsupply.com, and it's chickendr at firststatevetsupply.com. Peter, thank you very much for joining us today, and we look forward to seeing you here uh, uh, next Monday with another uh, hot topic. Hope you have a great and blessed week. You too, Andy. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yep. Uh, fabulous show today. We appreciate you tuning in, and uh, we've got a little bit more about our coop contest that we'll be talking about right after this short break. So stay with us. We will be back. Established in 1957, GQF has become the name to trust when it comes to quality products and superior customer service. GQF offers a wide range of poultry products, including incubators, brooders, feeders, waters, and much, much more. Give them a call at 912-236-0651 or visit them online at gqfradio.com. That's gqfradio.com. Let me tell you something about this next product here, the Hen Saver. Made in America, 100% of profits go to help rescued animals. Bottom line. They, uh, aprons and um, saddles are not all created equal. It's more than just going to Walmart, buying some material, and sewing it together. There's research that goes behind these based on the material, the elastic, the fit, the shape. These are patented. And not only the only ones I recommend, but the fact is that 100% of the profits from the hen saver hen aprons go to help rescued animals, period. Pictures of chickens on aprons are common across America, but picture a chicken wearing an apron and you'll probably get a good chuckle. Laugh if you must, but nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster and may even provide protection from an unexpected hawk attack. Hen savers come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and standard sized hens and roosters. Colors include camo, denim, navy, brown, khaki or black, and soon pink. Crazy K Farm is expanding its already colorful hen saver collection to include the color pink. A portion of their sales will be donated to organizations that fund breast cancer research and awareness. Order your Hensaver aprons today at Hensaver.com. That's Hensaver.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. 
Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. Introducing the Chicken Fountain, a new way to water your flock. The Chicken Fountain will change your life and keep your chickens healthier by providing clean, fresh water every time. No more daily cleaning of dirty chicken waterers. This semi-sealed system keeps every drop of water fresh and clean. Proudly made in the USA, the Chicken Fountain will provide your flock with fresh, clean water for years to come. To order your Chicken Fountain, visit ChickenFountain.com. That's ChickenFountain.com. All right, thank you very much for staying with us on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. I do appreciate it. What a great show with uh, Peter Brown, the Chicken Doctor, and I want to remind everybody that, hey, everybody loves to have a chance to win chicken coops. We give away more chicken coops than anybody else on the planet. That is fact. Um, we've given away a chicken coop every single month this year already. We're taking a break for July. We'll start back up in August. And, uh, but you can still have a chance, even though there's not an active contest on our Facebook page this month. There is a summer edition of Chicken Whisper magazine out that has a coop contest in it with Urban Coop Company and uh, it is an awesome prize package. You can go to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Chicken Whisper. Scroll down, you'll see the link right to the contest. It's free to enter. <clears throat> Twenty five words or less why you love to keep back your chickens. Enter and you're entered. Very, very simple. Somebody's got to win. You've been listening to the show long enough that we do have winners. This is not just some, you know, oh, enter here and you might win this car in the mall. Uh, this is, yes, we do have winners. They post the winners. And they were supposed pictures of their setup. We have given away uh, coops for six years, more than anybody else on the planet. And uh, we're continuing to do that thanks to our wonderful, wonderful sponsors. So go to our Facebook page. You can enter that awesome contest, and uh, we hope that you will uh, do that. Let me see if I have the information up for Thursday show, which I do, just to let you know. Richard Frutenberger, publisher of Back Home Magazine, will be here coming up this Thursday. And uh, we've got uh, Stopping Household Mold. Stopping Household Mold. That's going to be our... Uh, sustainable living uh, show topic for this Thursday, and we just may have um, uh, the essential oils lady, Tracy, with the Purple Lotus Oils, joining us back on, on Wednesday, so we'll let you know, but no show tomorrow, uh, but you can still follow us on Facebook and Twitter. So thank you very much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Hope you get educated on chickens the right way, and Visit the blogs, I guess, the, the chicken forums, things like that. But please, please take that information with a grain of salt. Look where it's coming from. Ask for proof. Show me the proof. Your four best words when, when visiting chicken blogs and forums. Show me the proof. Um, because there is some good information out there. I'm, I'm not discounting that. But there is far more bad information um, out there. And uh, we've seen it here on the show. It's gotten people in trouble. It's, uh, they've lost birds because of it. I asked a, uh, a poultry scientist, actually she was a certified avian veterinarian, how many chickens do you think have died because of the bad information that is out there on blogs and forums? 
no hesitation. She said thousands. That's sad because of bad information out there. Uh, this cat food issue is one of them. So, um, but th- thank you very much for tuning in. We do appreciate it, and uh, we'll see you next time right here on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer brought to you by Tractor Supply.